Big weekend, huh? Star Wars opened Friday. How many people have seen it so far? Oh, very disappointing. Very disappointing. Uh, $120 million opening day. That's a lot of money. I have a friend who saw it. I, he's seen it three times so far. He saw it twice, twice Friday, and he's already going back, and uh, a few people seen it. Uh, I looked at some pictures just I pulled off of the, the internet. That's the opening red carpet with Darth Vader proceeding. I think I got a picture of just a line of people at a theater. Uh, anytime. There he is. That's, a, Yeah. People. And then, uh, of course, we had some of our own folks here going to see it. That's Zach Michael and his wife Sammy there. That was uh, Thursday, Thursday night, I think, right, Zach? Yeah, they were in line. For, did you see the Friday midnight or Thursday midnight showing or whatever? 10.30 p.m. It's like Black Friday. It's like creeping, creeping forward, right? Um, but, you know, I have to be honest that as big as an opening, as a big deal as, as Star Wars was on Friday, it was... There was something bigger going on for me, and that was, um, that was the day that I actually finished my seminary career. So that's a, that's a screenshot of me turning in my final term paper for a seminary, and I just want to say thank you for everyone who has congratulated me and the well wishes of, of graduation. It felt very encouraged, and, and it was a really rich experience. So um, I'm now an official, I don't know, Master, which is kind of Star Wars-y, right? I'm a spiritual master, a Jedi master, if you will. Anyway, uh, that's enough of that. But Shana did point, my wife pointed out to me last night that, that a pastor had said that he was having fun with, uh, he would say, uh, may the force be with you, and a bunch of his church people would go, and also with you. So... <laughs> You know, we might rock some of that here lately. Uh, this is the last, the last Sunday of this series we're calling Not So Silent Night. And if you've been with us on this series, you know that it's a look at Jesus's life through the eyes and ears of Mary. And we have gone backwards through time. We've started with his resurrection and his ascension and her experience of that and his crucifixion and her experience of that, his life. And then finally, we're at the, the last Sunday, the last time we're going to look at, at, uh, the, at Jesus and the world through Mary's ears and eyes. But as Mark said earlier, I want to really point out that this is not the last not-so-silent experience we're going to have. Christmas Eve is also going to be a not-so-silent experience, E3's not-so-silent night uh, I think we've made it very clear it's going to be just an evening of music and singing, very simple, but hopefully very joyous. So we really invite you to come and have a not-so-silent experience with us. We're going to listen to some scripture, but basically just sing together. So bring a friend, come 5 and 6.30. Um, the scripture we're going to look at today is in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bible and you want to start heading there, that's where we're going to be looking at. And we're actually going to be jumping forward in time uh, to a time before Jesus even is born. 
So we've gone backwards through his life, but we're going to skip over the birth, so if, you, if you will, because that's coming on Christmas Eve. And we're going to jump to uh, an event that happens before Jesus is even born. So I'm going to read this passage of scripture. I'm just going to make some observations. And I hope that what, when we get to the end of this, uh, we will encounter God and be challenged to live our life uh, well in a different way. So I'm going to just jump in in verse 26. The text starts this way, that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Now, I want to pause there and just talk about a few things that are going on conceptually. Uh, we're told that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's Mary's relative, could be her cousin, but it's a relative of Mary. And we're told that in the sixth month of her pregnancy, which is establishes just a timeline for this whole thing, God sends Gabriel, an angel, a messenger to Nazareth. And Nazareth is this tiny little town in, in the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. It's so tiny that for a long time, archaeologists didn't even know it existed. It's only relatively recently they actually found a village called Nazareth. It's tiny, 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 just a collection of buildings. Far away from Jerusalem, far away from the center of religious life, the center of national life, the center of political life, this tiny little village, backwater. I always say that Nazareth is like the equivalent of Wakulla or Perry. I mean, that's what, that's what it would be. It'd be like, hey, a savior is born unto us in Wakulla, Florida. And people from the rest of the country would be like, is there, what, where is Wakulla, Florida? That's basically what's going on here. And he goes to a virgin named Mary. This would be a young woman, probably 12, 13, right? Wrap your head around that, 12 or 13, because girls got married young in this culture. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, engagement and betrothal in this culture is a really, really big deal. It's legally binding. An engagement and a betrothal lasts oftentimes for a whole year. And it's, and it's a very, very significant event. After a year of engagement or betrothal, a man and woman are married. The wedding feasts last typically a week. So any dads who have married off a, a, a girl, imagine if you had to pay for that for an entire week, right? And then after that, they would take off and, and establish their own home together. And we're told that her husband-to-be, Joseph, is a descendant of King David. That's a big deal in this culture because King David is like the prototypical Jewish king. He is the man that everybody aspires to be. He conquers uh, territory. He writes poetry in the Psalms. He is considered a man after God's own heart. He makes his mistakes. Don't get me wrong. If you ever read the story of David, you'll find he's not perfect, but he has this reverence and this focus on God that makes him a hero to everybody. And that's Joseph's story, but that's not Mary's story because Mary's just from Nazareth. She's just Mary. And so the text says that this angel, this messenger appears and says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And it says she's confused and disturbed. She tries to think of what the angel could mean. Now, um, 
Part of this makes a lot of sense. I actually feel sorry for the angels in the Bible because they're constantly showing up and they're like, hi, and everyone's like, ah! And they're always, because they always have to say what? Hey, don't be afraid. And so part of it, I don't know what Gabriel looked like, but something about the appearance of a messenger of the Lord, rightly so, disturbs Mary. And we go, yeah, sure, if an angel of the Lord showed up in my bedroom, I'd be like, whoa. But there's another reason that she is disturbed and confused, especially that phrase in the text that says she tries to think of what this might mean. All right, so there's two words that I wanna, or two phrases I wanna point out to you. If you're a person that makes marks in your Bible, uh, I am, you might look at the word uh, favored in verse 28. Greetings, favored woman. And you might just under, underline that word because that's a word that's gonna be really, really important to us this morning. But the other phrase that is really important to Mary is when Gabriel says, the Lord is with you. Because it sounds to our ears like a greeting, like, hey, what's up? How you doing? I don't know how an angel might greet somebody, but that's what it sounds like to us. But that's not exactly what Mary would have heard. Because the Lord is with you is a, a paradigm phrase. And if you were to look in the Old Testament at how that phrase is used, the Lord is with you, you would find, A, that it gets used a lot in the Old Testament by angels, by God, by prophets. And it gets used whenever they show up to somebody and God has a special purpose for them. And God has a mission for them. So you might find it like a military leader and a guy might stay up, show up and say, hey, the Lord is with you. He wants you to go attack over here. Or the Lord is with you. He wants you to undertake this radical experience. So in her rational mind, that's the other thing that's going on in Mary's mind and heart. Because remember who she is. She's just Mary from Nazareth. Now Joseph, now Joseph, now he's from a royal line. He's got status. He's got history. He lives in Nazareth, but still, he is from the line of David. Mary is just Mary. And the angel shows up and says, one, you're highly favored, Two, the Lord is with you, meaning God has something set aside for you. So Mary's disturbed because I think her response is, why me? Why not my husband-to-be, Joseph? I have no status. I live in nowheresville. I don't live near Jerusalem. I have no power. I have no access to anything. And yet the, the messenger shows up and says, guess what? You're the one that has a mission here. You're the one that God's gonna do something through. Do you understand how that might confuse and disturb her? And it says something about God. So keep that thought in your head. We're gonna go on in the text. Verse 30 don't be afraid, Mary, the angel says, for you have found, and here's that word again, favor with God. And then the angel lays out the mission. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great 
and will be called the son of the most high, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Remember her husband's line. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, as you do, how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative is Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. All right, this is a really, really cool little segment of scripture. Uh, The first thing I wanna point out to you is in Luke's gospel, there's actually two birth narratives. And they, they weave in and out of each other and they parallel each other. And the two birth narratives are John the Baptist's birth narrative and Jesus' birth narrative. And Luke actually starts with John the Baptist because he's six month, month ahead of Jesus. And by the way, this also means that Jesus and John the Baptist are what? Yeah, they're related. So uh, the contrast between the two stories though are interesting. Because John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, first of all, were told Elizabeth was barren. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were were longing for a child for a long time. And they were crying out to God, God, give us a child, give us a baby. And uh, Zechariah is also a priest, which means he does work in the what? Temple. And the temple is where? Jerusalem. And where does Mary live? Nazareth. So what's in Jerusalem? The temple, the center of national, political, spiritual life. It's the center of everything. You get it? And Zechariah and Elizabeth are right there. And the narrative of John the Baptist is centered on this this husband and wife that are longing for a child. He's a priest. He goes into the temple one day and guess who he sees? Gabriel. And Gabriel's like, hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. Uh, And Zechariah says to him, similar to Mary, but subtly different, because Zechariah says, how can I know this is going to happen? And there's there's a subtle difference between the way Mary responds and the way Zechariah responds. Because Mary says, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And there's sort of an uh, an implicit acceptance of what this mission is. You're gonna conceive a son, by the way, without a man. Zechariah's response is, but tell me how I know this will happen. And uh, Zechariah, or Gabriel replies, and then Gabriel, I guess, is a little bit tweaked because he says, okay, Zechariah, you're not gonna be able to speak now until your your son comes. Um, So that goes on. But there's this contrast between um, a husband and wife who long for a child and a betrothed man and woman who aren't asking for anything. A priest and a young woman. Jerusalem and Nazareth. And the tensions and the differences are all highlighted in these two birth narratives. So the angel lays out the mission. You're gonna have a son. And he's gonna be called Jesus and he's going to do all these amazing things. Why? Because Mary, you have found what? Favor. Favor. So let's talk about this word favor for just a minute. 
The, fa- uh, the word favor in Greek is the word charis. Uh, charis means grace. Mary, you have found and been given grace from God. Because of this amazing status you have, Mary, because of what you've done, Mary, because of who your family is, who your parents are, because you live in Jerusalem? No, 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 no. Why have you found grace, Mary? Because it's who God is. And so the first thing I wanna talk about is uh, the word grace. And you've heard me say it before that grace means unmerited favor. And if you look in a Bible dictionary, because I have a few of them now, uh, and if you look in commentaries and books about the Bible, because I have a few of those now, what you find is this word grace is so hard to define. So here's a few words that I've found. Grace means kindness. Grace means benevolence. Grace means blessing. And I could go on and on and on about all these words that grace is, but, but what I wanna get across to you is first is that grace is who God is. Grace is a God that sends a messenger to a nowheresville to a young woman who has no reason to expect anything and grace shows up and says, one, let me tell you about God. He loves you. And he doesn't just love you, he likes you. And the core part of God's being is simply this. And this is not just for Mary, this is for all of us in this room and any of friends that you have. Grace means God is not angry. Grace means that God walks in the room and he's glad to see you. Grace means that no matter who you are, whether you are a hero or a zero, whether you live in Tallahassee or Washington, D.C. or Perry, or you come from Franklin, Pennsylvania like me, God says, guess what? You're highly favored and what's more, I have a purpose for you. There's something that I wanna do that only you can do, no matter who you are. That's what grace does. But, there's always a but. But what does this mean for Mary's life? Mary, you're going to have a child out of wedlock in a small town. And can I suggest to you that small towns in Judea are like small towns in Florida? And single pregnant mothers are not looked upon fondly. I dare say, especially single mothers who claim that God made them pregnant. And I don't want to just kind of just blow past this because I want to land on the fact that Mary... This mission, this purpose that God has for her is going to cost her something in her external life. Because, hear this, she could be killed for this. For the shame that she would bring on her family and her husband-to-be, the culture could say she deserves to die. So, What this says to me and what I want to mention to to you guys is that um, sometimes even though 
you are highly favored by God, your external circumstances may not appear that you are highly favored. But those two things are not related. So God may come to you and say, you are highly favored. I have this thing set apart from you. By the way, your culture is gonna say you're crazy. Your family might look at you and go, I can't talk to you anymore. What has happened to you? You are bringing embarrassment and shame because you're choosing something that doesn't look like what the culture says is success. But hear me, cultural success does not indicate grace. Because God says, this thing that you're gonna do, Mary, might cost you an awful lot, but you are highly favored. You just can't draw a line between what the external circumstances of a person's life is and their status before God because God loves them. And I love what he does here, uh, the angel does. He, he tells her a story about her community because he says, guess what? I know this sounds crazy, Mary, but you know what? Nothing's impossible with God because you know your relative, Elizabeth? Guess what? She's pregnant. Mary has no indication that this has happened. So it's almost like Gabriel helps her out and he says, you know what, Mary? I know what I've just told you sounds crazy, but look around your community. I've done things like this before. And it makes me think of, for instance, when God came to me, not in the form of Gabriel, and he said, Eric, hey, guess what? I want you to start leading worship. I want you to stop playing music in tiny little clubs and bars and I want you to start leading worship at a huge church in Chicago and I want you to throw your hat in the ring to play music and be a a prophet, priest, musician and my response is how can this be? God, you don't know my past. You don't know my present and it's almost as if God says, you know what, how about you look around your community How about you look at other broken people that I've done amazing things through? And so today, let me break this down. You might have something on your heart that you feel like God said, God has, I feel like God is leading me to do this thing. I feel like God is leading me to embrace this ministry or this purpose in my life, but I am so messed up. I'm too addicted. I'm too fearful. I'm too shy. I'm too this, this, this. Then I'm hesitant to do it. And I feel like God says in the same way that he says, look at Elizabeth. God says, look around your community and look how many broken and messed up people are already doing stuff. Not because of how great they are, but because of how great God is. And trust me, I know most of you. You are broken and messed up people. (laughs) And that's exactly the stories that God wants to tell. So there's this tremendous cost to Mary and she stands there hearing this, oh my gosh, I am going to be cast out possibly. I could be killed for this. And she stands I want to, uh, sort of on the precipice of two realities. Now, uh, most of you guys know that you know, I used to write a lot of songs and I had a band years ago uh, called Made a Veil and I wrote a song once called Three Small Words. And I, I remember exactly where I was when I wrote it. I was at a violin lesson with my daughter and I had this idea for a song and I started working on it. I've always been fascinated by the way that words can change realities. There are certain words that we speak or hear that after which nothing is ever the same. 
And so I wrote this song called Three Small Words, and I wrote it about the three small words of I love you. You know, you're in a relationship and it's kind of this and God, you know, fuzzy and everything. You say those three words and things change, do they not? If you have said those three words and you are in a relationship, do you remember where you were when you said those three small words? Really? I remember exactly where I was when I said those three small words to my wife, to be. I love you. Those three words change everything. A relationship that was going on one direction can go in all of a sudden a different direction when you say, I love you. And Mary utters some words. The text says, she responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. But I like the way other translations put it. I think the NRSV, the CEB, they put it this way. Mary says, let it be. Let it be done to me as you have said. And I wanna suggest to you that those three small words change everything for Mary Because what's at stake ultimately with grace is how we respond to it. And and the angel shows up and he says, Mary, you're highly favored. I've got this really dangerous thing that I'm gonna call you to do. I've got this thing that's gonna cost you, Mary. Not because you're great, Mary, but because you found favor just because of who I am. And Mary says, let it be. And I want to suggest to you these three small words do three things in our lives. The first thing that let it be says is that it acknowledges that there's a God. Let it be done to me as you have said. When you stand confronted with something big, even in the midst of of hearing God's love and favor and kindness towards you and yet knowing that this love and this favor and this kindness might cost you something in terms of your culture, just saying, let it be, acknowledges that there is a God and I am not him. There is something higher than me that is working in this. And then by extension, let it be also says that no matter what the circumstances are, God is present. If my family rejects me, if my mobility goes down, if everything around me in the culture points at me and says you are failing now because you're not making more money, you're making less, you're not moving up in the world, you're moving down, let it be, says, God is present. No matter what the externals look like, let it be be means this is not an accident no matter where you are God is never not there and the third thing that let it be does is it catapults you into a whole universe of faith you know the thing about Mary is uh, she's the prototypical believer And if you ever wonder why uh, other 
faith traditions revere Mary. Now, I can't speak for Catholics, but I actually do I read a lot of Catholic writers. And, and the thing about Mary is that, in a way, she should be who we all are. You know, God shows up in our lives and he says, hey, I, I wanna put this on your heart. I wanna nudge you a certain way. And you know what? If you're anything like me, I tend to go, yes, but, Lord. Yes, but, you know, I got a job. But, but God, that's gonna cost too much. God, uh, that's gonna make me uncomfortable. I don't wanna have that conversation, God. I wanna do that thing, God. And what this young 12-year-old girl from the backwaters of Galilee, she beats me in faith every time because she just says what we all should say. Let it be. No matter how crazy your dreams are, God, let it be done to me. That's a radical, a radical statement of faith and grace because Mary does nothing to deserve it. All she does is respond to it the way we all should. I love it when uh, a message uh, can help me understand music, right? So uh, the Beatles aren't culturally current, but it's the Beatles, please. And uh, the band's gonna come up and uh, I ask them to play Let It Be. Because how can you not? But you know, I never realized how deep the wisdom of this song was. Um, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom. What? Let it be. And in my hour of darkness, ever been there? Ever had an hour of darkness? She's standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Let it be. There is a God. Let it be. He has not abandoned me. Let it be. I will have faith that you are with me now, as dark as it is, as uncomfortable as it is. God, you're here, and I'm not going to panic. I may have to work. I may have to change something, but at the core of who I am, God, I know you love me. And that's a powerful, powerful statement. So as we go out of here, as the band plays, and I'm not gonna come up after this, so just, I can't follow the Beatles. <laughs> Whatever circumstance you're in this week, this season, may you and may we be people who say and proclaim to this God, let it be done to me as you would have, Father. You guys have a great week. 